0: The second gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark in the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 26. Jesus is teaching with parables, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would spout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. A grain of wheat remains a solitary grain unless it falls into the earth and dies. But if it dies, it bears a rich harvest. But of course, that's obvious. We know that. But Jesus is talking about his own death and the revolutionary new kind of life that that death is going to make possible. There have been just two great revolutions in the history of humankind, just two. I'm not counting 1776, and I'm not counting the unpleasantness in Paris, France, a few years later. I'm not counting the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, and I'm not counting the Chinese Revolution. I'm talking about the revolutionary big time And all these revolutions, even our own grand American revolution, are revolutionary small time. The first first great revolution took place, so the prehistorians tell us, about 10,000 years ago. The first revolution took place when the first farmer went into business Those of us who are raised in cities and suburbs do well to remember that civilization began down on the farm. It's worth remembering that until the first farmer went into business, humankind was a slave of its environment, a nomad on the face of the earth, wandering from place to place with nothing better to guide than the quest for the first next day's meal ticket. Homeless. Nature dictating the terms. Until the first farmer went into business and changed all that. He had seen something strange and mysterious and marvelous happen in the process of nature and he reckoned he could get in on that secret. He was right. The secret was this, a grain of wheat remains a solitary grain unless it it falls into the earth and dies, but if it dies it bears a rich harvest. He must have been a very brave man, that first farmer, that first revolutionary. He must have looked completely crazy to his primitive prehistoric neighbors for here's what he did. He took a handful of good living grain seed that could have filled hungry mouths and he threw it away. I like to imagine Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble leaning on a fence rail watching him and Fred says to Barney, Barney there's a crazy guy out there look what he's doing he's throwing away living sea Barney everyone knows you don't bury things unless they're dead and if you bury something and it's still alive it might even die. And Barney, who always likes to see the nice side of things, says, well, never mind, Fred, maybe he's, he's fond of the birds. He's, he's feeding the birds, Fred. But that first farmer, that first revolutionary made his point. Whatever Fred and Barney thought about it, whatever they whispered to their neighbors, it worked. Spring came. And first, the blade and then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear, and the first revolution was on its way because it was true. A grain of wheat remains a solitary grain unless it falls into the earth and dies, but if it dies, it bears a rich harvest. That was true. At last, humankind, men and women could stop being nomads wandering the face of the earth at the mercy of nature. At last, for the first time, literally, men and women like you and me could say, now I can strike roots, now I can have a home. All civilization as we know it stems from that great breakthrough. It was God's purpose that it should be so. It was God's purpose that Adam and Eve, that humankind, that you and I have dominion over nature, not just the fruits of the field, but the fruits of science and of technology and of industry, all part of the blessed loving purpose of God for God's people. And year after year, is it not true year after year, pandemic or no pandemic still from the cornucopia of nature, God tumbles into our lap more and more of God's good gifts. It was God's purpose that we should be so blessed and so enriched. And yet, somewhere along the line, something calamitous has gone wrong. Things have gotten upside down somehow. Someone who had gone on a trip to India upon coming back told of seeing on a railway station platform there a very large crate on which had been painted in red paint. Danger, keep at all times bottom side up. Across which a nervous railway station official had written in chalk, to avoid confusion, bottom is labeled top. Danger, which way up? <clears throat> All the things we used to think we knew were good either seemed to be not so good, or perhaps even now a little bad. All the things we used to think were bad now seem to be either not so bad, or perhaps even a little good. <clears throat> the truth is called fake, and the lies called the truth. All our heroes have become villains, All our villains have become heroes. Danger, which way up? We create our great technological marvels in our city centers and almost overnight they've turned into urban jungles. Our standard of living keeps rising, our quality of life keeps falling. We own more things, we get less joy. We're possessed by our possessions. What's gone wrong? everything seems to have gotten upside down somehow. Danger, which way up? Because you see what's happened. The first revolution has become the agent of its own destruction. The first revolution has become the agent of its own destruction because we've forgotten the second revolution. Let's start again. Look, I implore you, don't say I've heard all this before. I know. Don't say we've said all this before. I know we all have. I implore you, will you hear as if you've never heard it before? Will you listen to the story of the second revolution? This time we know the revolutionary's name. We know where he lived. We know when he lived. We know how he taught. We know how he died. We know what happened after he died. And we know that he seemed completely crazy to his primitive prehistoric neighbors, Fred and Barney, still there, still leaning on the fence. Because this is what he said. He said, look, You already know the secret of the first revolution. You already know that God-given secret. The secret of growth in the world of nature. A grain of wheat remains a solitary grain unless it falls into the earth and dies. But if it falls into the earth and dies, it bears a rich harvest. You already know that, he said. Now I'll tell you the secret of growth in the world of the spirit. The secret of the second revolution. It's the same secret. You've got to be willing to sacrifice something before you can get anywhere. You've got to be willing to lose before you can start winning. You've got to be willing to die before you can really start living. They didn't believe a word of it. It was one thing to throw away a handful of seed. It was another to throw yourself away, and that's what he seemed to be asking. So he said, you don't believe it, I'll prove it. And you remember how it was that day at Caesarea Philippi, Peter makes his great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus' ecstatic response, yes, yes, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You've got it, Peter, he says. You've got it. We're ready to go then. Jerusalem. And Peter says, Not that, Lord. Don't throw yourself away. Christ turns on him with fury and says, Behind me, Satan. And Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Do you remember it? Of course, you remember. You've heard the story hundreds of times. But do you remember with the remembrance with which the scriptures speak? Which is not simply a calling to mind. Do you remember with that kind of remembrance that makes the thing remembered present and potent and real and demanding here and now? Do you remember like that? Do you remember the false dawn of Palm Sunday? Do you remember the strain and the stress of the days that followed? Do you remember how they met in the upper room that night and he said remember 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 me do you remember and how he walked out into that garden into the arms of the temple police and how after a mockery of a trial they stripped him and they whipped him and they nailed him to the cross do you remember and a grain of wheat fell into the earth and died. Crucified, dead, and buried. And then do you remember like a seed in springtime that can break through solid concrete, that blessed seed grew and the stone moved and the second revolution exploded in the face of humankind. Do you remember? Can we see the revolutionary implications of the gospel we profess? I'm frightened by the implications of what I hear myself say. I'm scared that there are some of us in the Christian church who are so busy trying to be beloved caretakers of our own exalted statures and our own way of life that we are deaf to our own profession. No sacrifice, no harvest, that scares me. Self-interest or self-giving? Saving your life or losing it? Which which is it to be? Hey, don't answer that one too quickly. This is the revolutionary big time, remember? It's not the little league, It's not a handful of grain, he's asking. It's us. He's asking us to throw ourselves away for Christ's sake. And that scares me. It scares me when I begin to think what it may mean for us, what it may mean for our communities, what it may mean for us as a volatile nation. It scares me when I think what it may mean for the churches we serve and love. It may mean they've got to die before they can be reborn. The churches as we have structured them, I don't want that, I've got a vested interest in these structures, they're the structure for what I do. But it scares me most of all when I think what it may mean for me personally, for what I am. For there's some bit of me my selfishness and my possessiveness, my self-righteousness and my pridefulness, my prejudice and my apathy, my resentments and my anger. There's some bit of me that right now God is touching and saying, for Christ's sake, throw it away and bury it. That scares me. But I'm even more scared of that modern jungle, filled with men and women, primitive in the world of the spirit, technological giants we are, and moral and spiritual pygmies. Let's quit that jungle. Let's strike roots, find our spiritual home. Here, now, why not? No man's of the heart no longer. Something better to guide us than the quest for our next day's meal ticket. For this is God's truth. This is the truth of Christ, If we are ready to share with Christ in a second revolution, be sure, be very sure, that as we share in his sacrifice, we shall share in his harvest. As we share in his death, so we will share in his life. Let us pray. Dear God, we know it's true, but we are confused and we are afraid. Forgive us that so often the truths we have professed and preached we have not dared to live by. Give us insight to know what that truth means for us and for our troubled world what we must sacrifice, what we must forsake and throw away for Christ's sake, then give us the courage to do it. You have set before us this day life and good and death and evil. May we choose life that both we and our seed may live, amen.